Today, I'm joined by Isar Matisse, founder and entrepreneur of the E-Tribe. The E-Tribe is an entrepreneurial ecosystem focused on fostering digital businesses of all sizes. Tune in today as we talk about Isar's experiences growing up in Israel, flying jets, being an entrepreneur, and now being a digital entrepreneur. Let's tune in. I have a almost 13-year-old daughter coming on 16. I've got a, <laughs> She thinks she's a, 16. <laughs> oh, she behaves like she's 16. Oh, wow. Uh, she's incredible. She's smart. She's funny. She's witty. She's, uh, but she's in that age and she, uh, it's interesting. It's, yeah. it's an interesting experience. And, uh, and then I have two boys, younger boys. So, yeah. Nice. That's really cool. So, it is. So, you are from Israel. And so how, how do you like teach them about the culture and do you take them to Israel ever? Have you? So great question. Uh, my wife is also Israeli and mm -hmm. we're from, uh, from my, from our, the moment our daughter was born, we decided they need to be Israeli, even though they were born and raised here in the United States. Yeah. So we speak to them only in Hebrew. No in way. Israel. Really? Yeah. A hundred percent. That's so cool. We try to force them to speak Hebrew to themselves. And if we're around, they would. If we're not, they switch to English in, <laughs> in the middle of a sentence, like as soon as I turn around. Uh, because obviously, you know, they are at school and with friends and everybody, they, they speak English all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we celebrate all the holidays. We do a lot around the holidays of kind of like explaining the reasons and the traditions. And we were both my wife and i are part of the team that established the israeli uh so israel has the israeli scouts which has got them like the israeli chapter of the global scouts movement and we've established the local mm. chapter here in orlando florida of the israeli scouts oh wow so that brings together wow. all the israeli kids and they do a lot of israeli related activities and a lot of scout activities obviously but the cool thing is yeah, that yeah. they hang out with like Israeli boy scouts kids. and girl scouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. yeah it's only co-ed, yeah. like they're all together. Uh, yeah, yeah. But they do a lot of fun activities, and they do them in Hebrew, and they do stuff again for the holidays and so on. Uh, so we try very hard. We we really try hard to to keep the tradition and the language and the and 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 their background, you know, in, intact. That's so awesome. What are some of your favorite things about the tradition and the culture? Wow, there's so many. I, I, really? I think Israelis in general. So, you know, there's always kind of like the Israeli versus Jewish thing, right? So there's a lot of Jewish mm. Americans, a lot more than Israeli Americans. There's Jewish Americans, right, that were born mm -hmm. and raised here and are Jewish. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge difference between the Jewish American population and the Israeli population. Really? How so? Uh, completely different character like and, oh, wow. and and it's to the point that it barely mixes it's actually pretty sad what i'm saying but if you if you go anywhere in the united states you have the jewish population and then you have the israeli population and they each do their own things and they very rarely kind of uh there's cross-pollination if you want between uh between the two groups there is a little bit obviously but but not enough not as much as i think there should be mm. so it's 
but you you ask what are the differences? I think Israelis are Israelis, and American Jewish are American. Americans. Israelis are a lot more open and a lot more frank and a lot more in your face and a lot less uh, subtle. Sort of like New Yorkers. Oh, a lot worse. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, a lot worse. Oh, wow. A lot worse. If you ever met Italians or Spaniards or Greeks, it's the same thing. I mean, oh, Mediterranean wow. Mediterranean people. And add to take Mediterranean and now put it in the Middle East with all its issues. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it spices things up. So Israelis are great. They're fantastic. But you need to kind of know how to deal with it. And if you know, you know how to enjoy the benefits. And if you're not, they're like, Oh my God, these guys are crazy. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so there's uh, there's a pretty big Israeli group here around and we try to stay together and do a lot of things together. Like I said, like holidays and kids activities and, and things like that. And even celebrate uh, non-Jewish, so like Israeli things. You know, we celebrate the Israeli independence. We do a ceremony for the Israel Memorial Day so mm-hmm. we do we do a lot of Israeli things as an Israeli community. Uh, we also do some things with the bigger Jewish community, obviously. That's good. What do you think that the two populations could learn from each other? A lot. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, well, uh, listen, at the end of the day, the Jewish American population is amazing. It has strong roots. It has its own culture. It has its own organizations and abilities to to make a difference right so whether it's through politics whether it's through nonprofit organizations whether it's through things like that they've been doing this for decades right so they have an established organizations which help them make a difference in the US as as a whole in the world as a whole uh, and obviously for the Jewish people as as Jewish Mm. And the Israelis don't. The Israelis usually come here for a business opportunity and they do their thing and they have a few friends and that's about it. <laughs> and and so I think the Israelis have a lot to learn from the Americans on how to do things the American way in order to be able wow. to make a bigger impact in the world, in the US. Uh, and there's actually an organization that's been growing and, and growing in force and in numbers that is called the IAC the Israeli American Mm -hmm. Consul, Mm -hmm. and the IAC kind of like took the flag of we want to unite the Israeli American people together. There are over 700,000 Israelis living in the U.S. It's a, you know, it's a small number compared to the American population, but it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a very big number compared to if you consider where Israelis in the world live outside of Israel, nothing comes close to this. So they're trying to get this group as a group versus as individuals in different locations and also uh, do a lot of activities to have more integration and and you know kind of like go cross the lines with the jewish population and do more and more joint activities and it's slowly happening even here in orlando it's it's a great thing Mm, that's really really great so um talk to us more about israel like what I mean, I've never been to Israel. I have no idea you what it's like. You have to go. I have to, I have to you go. You have to go. Seems like the coolest place. It is the coolest place. Listen, Israel, first of all, what you see in the news is fake. Yeah. 
Israel is safer than Orlando and everybody no thinks way. better. No, absolutely. By, by a big spread. Like wow. personal safety. You know, people come to, I probably I shouldn't say this because I live in Orlando and, you know, the local, uh, the local economy depends on a lot of people coming here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are a lot of not great neighborhoods no, in is. Orlando that you shouldn't totally be in agree. in certain hours of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there are more people getting shot or being involved in violent like crime. crimes in mm -hmm. Orlando than in all of Israel together by That's a big crazy. spread by a big spread and yet if you ask people from the u.s like do you rather go to orlando or go to israel say oh well i would love to go to israel but it's really Seems doesn't look very safe. safe yeah so if safety is in your head forget it it's ridiculous if you want to go to orlando you can go to israel um, now as far as what why go to israel it has everything it really really has everything it has obviously the history of you know judaism and christianity and Islam comes mm. from the region, but if you're talking about specifically, you know, Judaism and Christianity, it comes from Israel. Mm -hmm. So you can go and step in and see and touch places where people in the it's Bible so or in the cool. New Testimonial has been places where Jesus has walked. You can walk the same path. Uh, and it's incredible because it's, it's, you talked about spirituality. Every single person that I know that it has any connection to religion, even the slightest connection goes to Israel and they get goosebumps one place or another or in several places oh because it's it's incredible. It's just you you feel it in the air. So that's one thing. The other thing is history, right? Even if you ignore the uh, if you ignore the religion side of things, the history there is just fascinating. Uh, with everything that happened from the Bible through uh, Roman Empire, Ottoman Empire, uh, you know, and so on and on and on in history, World War One, World War Two, everything went through that region because it's a connection point between, through land between Europe and Asia and Africa. So any big thing that happened in the Middle East or or the Mediterranean happened in Israel as well. And you can see and touch and visit places from That's each so area you can believe in. And now if you take it to just having fun, it has incredible, beautiful views. It has spectacular beaches, great scuba diving, amazing food, fantastic nightlife. Um, so it, it, culture, you know, anything from theater to ballet to whatever it is that you fancy, uh, museums with art. And everything is really, really small. So you can see all of that in, you know, 10 days to two weeks because the whole country, north, north to south, is less than 400 miles. Mm. Wow. And the widest Lord. point, the widest point is less than 100 miles. The narrowest point is like 15. Mm -hmm. So, cool. I mean, you can see so much in very little time because yeah. it's really small. Mm-hmm. What is your fondest memory of Israel? Do you have one? I have a million. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe. You know, anything from family stuff, a lot of family stuff, obviously, uh -huh. big family events with a lot of cousins and nephews. And usually uh -huh. out, it's always outdoors. Like we always do stuff outdoors. That's so great. So, That's yeah. That's so wonderful. Um, well, so you, you mentioned um, going to Israel and uh, it's very safe. 
So, like, why do you think, in your opinion, like, why why does the news portray all these horrible crimes and conflicts when it's really not that way? Listen, first of all, the media has to sell stuff, right? So mm -hmm. if it's going to be, oh, this is a great day in Tel Aviv, people are at the beach, who the hell cares? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm serious. Like, it's not, it's not quote unquote newsworthy, right? So the media right now is not showing you people on the beach in California. They're showing you people looting uh, Target and burning police cars. Mm -hmm. There are a lot more people on the beaches having fun or hiking in the mountains than they are burning police cars, but that's not what the news is showing. So the news has to be newsworthy, and sadly, bad things sell more commercial time than good things, which is sad, but that's reality. The other thing is you need to remember that that uh, the, the networks have an agenda. They want to mm. sell a story because that story supports something they support and they have the money and the means to tell the story the way they want to tell the story. Mm -hmm. And in general, the US media, other than maybe Fox News, is very anti-Israeli. Mm. So for them to tell the story in making Israel look bad in any way they can is yeah. no brainer. Why, why is that? I mean, like in your opinion, why why won't countries recognize Israel? I think many do. And, and I think if you ask the people, many do. Mm -hmm. But I think in general, all over the world, and definitely in the US, uh, the, the left has a hold on education, like higher education, and on media. And that's true more or less across the board in the Western Hemisphere. And that gives the tone to everything, right? So you mm -hmm. have, if you're hardcore left wing, regardless of which country, and you look at Israel, then you don't look at the facts. You look at, okay, there's a Palestinian people and they're in bad situation, so we'll support them. And nobody cares wow. about the facts. Nobody cares about the facts. And if you look at any any component of the facts, you understand that's not the case. But again, if you have an agenda to show it that way, it's very easy to show that way because it's a lot easier to see, to show people suffering without trying to ask why mm -hmm. than, than to show the other side. Mm. What do you think about Palestine? Like what is the way forward for them? Because they don't, I don't see like they're going to budge anyway. So, <sighs> First of all, I wish I had an answer, and if I did, I don't know if I could make any <laughs> difference. But listen, it's a very, very complicated problem. And, right. and the biggest part of the problem is that the Palestinian leadership for now three generations almost, well, two, mm -hmm. but should have been three because, you know, Muhammad Abbas is not leaving, and before that, Arafat stayed there forever. But it should have been like mm -hmm. three or even four generations of leadership uh, won't budge. And they will do everything to keep on doing what they're doing because, in my eyes, they're afraid of the other option. So for them, it's easier to stay the victims and get support from the world and promote their own personal agendas than to actually help their own people. Mm. And it's, it happened time and time again. Every time they had an opportunity to move forward, they chose to promote themselves rather than help their people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And it's really sad. sad because I think most of the Palestinian people, I really do, I really believe that most of the Palestinian people want peace and want change and are willing to make big sacrifices just like people in Israel are. So I think yeah. most people in Israel are, all of that I can tell you for sure, right? Want oh, yeah. peace and are willing to make significant sacrifices. Sure. But the leadership on the, Pal on the Palestinian side doesn't. Yeah, and you can see it in every step along the way that that they rather get hundreds of millions of dollars and sometimes billions from different countries that goes to organizations they control that they can pocket a lot of the money rather than do things that can really benefit the people that they were selected to govern. Mm. And it's bad, and it, and it's by the way, it's the same problem anywhere around the world where you have a leadership that doesn't change that has been around for a very long time. They become corrupt and they prefer their own good over the good of their people. It's not different with the Palestinian people. The only difference with the Palestinian people is that it gets a lot more press, but that's not different than any other else in the world where you have a tyranny that takes care of itself rather than its people. No difference. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the the conflict has been going on for a long time and there's been um, you know, a lot of lives lost on both sides. Uh, I know you were in the Israeli army. Um, I was. Yeah. What was that experience like? Uh, it's a very good experience. I think, you know, one of the reasons that Israelis are a lot more entrepreneurial, I think, in spirit than most of the other places around the world and that are that mature earlier and start doing things at an earlier age is because you have to serve in the military. Wow. And every, everybody serves. Uh, age of 18, you go and serve in the military. If you're a girl like you, you serve two years, guys serve three. And if you're staying for anything different, you know, you become an officer, you become a whatever, uh, you stay longer. So very quickly in a very early age, you have a lot of responsibility and in many cases responsibility for the lives of others literally like that yeah so a 19 year old could be responsible for the lives of his soldiers that mm. report to him and that forces you to think differently it forces you to behave differently it forces you to mature faster it mm. forces you to be a lot more accountable and it's not something that goes away once you leave the military. It becomes a part of who you are. Mm. So how did being in the military, how did that shape you and mold you um, and sort of propel you forward into being an entrepreneur? Huh. Uh, first of all, I was, I was a pilot in the Air Force. I flew F-16. Yeah, right. So being a pilot in the Air Force is very, very different than probably everything else in the Army uh, for many different reasons. But there are many things that translate from being a fighter pilot to being a successful entrepreneur. Um, mm -hmm. One thing is the ability to make decisions on a split of a second and stick with them and oh, wow. with without 100% of the information, because that's what you do day in, day out. You you fly a jet, it flies very fast, situation changing all the time, you got to make decisions. The other thing which I think is critical is the ability to debrief. Yeah. The Israeli Air Force, and I assume most Air Forces, do something that is very unnatural to people, which is 
you come back from a mission, you sit down with a group of people and you say one by one what you did wrong. Wow. Most people hate to admit what they've done wrong. You like you try yeah. to hide it, you try to wishy-washy it, you try to sugarcoat it. Yeah. And and in the Air Force, after every sortie you fly, and you fly sometimes two, three sorties a day, so for many years, right? So it becomes who you are. You get back, you sit down and say, this is what I've done wrong. One, two, three, four. This is what I need to remember not to do again. One, two, three. This is how I'm going to make it better next time. So you think that way. You become wired that way. So I debrief everything. I debrief when I park. I debrief when I try to teach my son to ride his bicycle and the first method didn't That's work. That's so like, awesome. Okay, I, this, this didn't work because of this and that. This is what I need. And you do this subconsciously and sometimes do this consciously because I, when I now have my business, I stop every now and then and I do a debrief of the past month, of the past quarter, what I do wrong, how can I improve? It becomes who you are. And it's a huge benefit in business when you can look mm -hmm. back and see what's going on. And I think the last two components are uh, preparation. So you, you don't fly a mission without very detailed, very thorough preparation, knowing exactly where you want to be, how you're going to get there, what's going to be the situation, what are the different what-ifs along the way, how many decisions you can make up front. So once you get to there, you don't have to make the decision with limited information, but based on like, okay, I already thought of that scenario. This is what I'm going to do next. And again, that translates phenomenally to business. If you can plan better and not run blind, then obviously there's a huge benefit in, in, uh, in doing stuff more successfully. Mm. So, and, and the last component is really, you know, call it whatever you call it, want to call it, you know, perseverance or, or sticking with the mission or, but we, we don't quit because right. you're taught not to quit. There is no such thing. Like you won't sleep, you won't eat, you will do what it takes because you define that this is what needs to be to get done and it will get done. Mm -hmm. And so the combination of all these things of good preparation and being able to make decisions in real time based on limited information and being able to stick to the mission and drive it through the end but through this entire process, debrief every step and make small adjustments based on what you've done wrong is the perfect platform to be successful in business. Yeah, I totally agree. That is really, really cool. Um, why do you think some people are are scared to be introspective like this and, and debrief? I think it's very unnatural. I think hmm. as humans, we don't like to admit our mistakes. Hmm. I think it's it feels, and, and it's the same thing in the Air Force, right? When you start, you, you, you kind of being forced to do this. People, not physically, but twist your arm in order to, yeah. to do that. But, but again, once you do it, it's, it's not natural to come and say, oh, yeah, you know, I, this is how I fucked up. It's, it's not. It's stuff you usually try to hide because we mm -hmm. want to look good in front yeah. of other people. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's so cool. Um, so you were flying jets. And so um, I've never been on a plane. So, well, I've never Ever? flown a plane. No, no, no. I've never flown oh, a plane, okay, I should okay. say. But it's always been a dream of mine. I want to get my, my license. So um, I definitely want to hear more about that. Um, and so then if you could tell us more about like your transition um, of 
you know, coming out of the Air Force and, um, you know, starting your company? And like, how did you how did you uh, just decide to just wake up one morning and say, like, all right, this is what I'm going to do and let's get it. Like, how did that happen? So I'll start with your first question. Flying is actually a lot easier than people think. So oh, I'm, wow. I'm sure a lot of pilots are going to say, oh, don't say that. Don't tell them. But it is. It's, <laughs> it really, first of all, you got to remember that there's a lot of, a lot less stuff to collide with <laughs> when you're really? airborne. Oh, no, that makes sense, I guess. There are no pedestrians. There's no, you know, stop signs. There's no just lines on the air. ground. There's no, it's just. So, you know, the chances of running into something is significantly smaller than when you yeah. drive. The other thing is today, everything is so well organized and structured mm. that basically forces you into a pattern that keeps you safe. So as long as you know how to follow patterns, uh, it's actually not that difficult to fly airplanes, not to mention the fact that 90 5% of the flight, even on smaller airplanes today, is done on autopilot that does wow. most, of the, most of the stuff for you. Oh, my gosh. Most That's of the so stuff. crazy. So you put in the coordinates you want to get to. You set the altitude. You set the cruising speed. And, and then the you airplane, just chill. And then you just. <laughs> That's lovely. Then you just monitor that it's really doing what it's supposed to be doing and making the right yeah. calls on the radio so the controller knows where you are. That's oh, wow. basically what you do. Do you have your own plane then? No, no. I, I have a a, uh, a private license here in the US. Oh, you do? I barely use it. I use it every now oh. and then. I, but I'm I'm allowed to if that's the question. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I very I, I don't do this enough. Let's put it this way. Mm -hmm. uh, now for your other question of uh, the transition to civilian life, it was it was very yeah. interesting. I, I left the Air Force because of two things. Uh, one, you have an opportunity. So the, there's kind of like exit points when you do your military service. Mm -hmm. So your first exit point for me was when I was 28. And you could either stay in for another, I think it's like six, no. Yeah, something like six years. But then what happens, usually the people who stay those six years stay all the way through the end because you get a full pension at the age of like 42. So if you're, wow. in, the, if you're in the Air Force at the age of 34, you're like, well, in, you know, in like eight years, I could be retired with a pension. So a lot of people stay all the way to the end. So that's kind of like a decision point where like, do you want to make this your the career or do you want to try to do something else? And both are fine, right? But when I... When I got to that time, it was 98, 99, and it was the biggest days of high-tech boom. And as you know, Israel has a lot of tech startups. So it, 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 seemed, it seemed that everybody's becoming millionaires by opening little startup companies. Yeah, yeah. And in the Air Force, you know, it was fun and good, but I've done that for, you know, like 10 years. And I'm like, okay, I should do something else and maybe try to be a millionaire like everybody else. Obviously, that's fake, right? One in every hundred startups actually makes any money and very few actually becomes millionaires. Mm -hmm. But the perception is like, oh my God, look at all these people yeah, and how much money like they're making. Website, yeah. so, so that's why I left. I left and I joined a, a Israeli startup uh, who did training and simulation mm -hmm. uh, for military forces and mostly air forces around the world. So that's how I, that's how I started. That's great. What is the like tech startup scene like in Tel Aviv? Like 
how is it different than you know san francisco like other places around i the think globe? i think it's very very similar so really? I, I think places that has that startup mentality beyond the mentality creates an ecosystem right which you which you need to have so if you're looking at okay how do i create a startup you need people in different roles right so you need developers you need product people you need designers you need marketing people you need etc cetera, etc cetera. uh customer service hr and so on you all, and but to begin with you got to have it's a, if it's a tech startup you need a tech guy or a few and like a business guy or a few uh, this yeah. is how you start all startups but then you need funding and you need connections and you need mentors and you need in order to be successful you need all these things and so what happens in silicon valley and happens the same thing in tel aviv or or in israel in general is all this exists you have a huge population of people in or around tech and it's any tech by the way it's it's medical tech it's agriculture it's different kinds of sciences obviously mm -hmm. military technology Uh, mm -hmm. It's not just like, you know, tech startups building software. Yeah. And so because you have that ecosystem, it accelerates itself because, again, the perception, and in many cases, it's not even the perception. Like if you look at the average salary of somebody in a tech company, it's one and a half times to four times higher than the same, you know, the people who are not. So people want to join the tech scene in Israel. And so it's, 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 continuously feeds itself you have good people coming in you have people funding it you have people with the right connections because they've done it before uh, you have the right mentors in place uh, so it's it's a very That's very good. successful scene and i think it's very very similar to silicon valley you know i yeah yeah i've never I... worked there but i worked with a lot of silicon valley companies and i have oh, really? a lot of friends who live there it's very similar That's awesome do you think that you have to uh live in one of these hubs like Tel Aviv or uh, San Francisco to have a successful startup? No, absolutely not. I think you can do it anywhere. I think mm. it's a matter of the right mindset, the right processes, mm -hmm. building the right team. Now, is it easier in these kind of places? I guess yes and no. Yes, from the fact that, again, the, the ecosystem is there. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to get to the right people. And it's a lot easier to find people that are relevant but on the other like end everywhere no the, on the other end there's a huge competition on oh sure on good on good people sure right and if you're gonna pitch your startup to an angel investor in orlando they hear you know five startup pitch pitching them a week you go to and silicon valley they hear 30 a day yeah so your ability to be the one they choose And the same thing with people, right? If you're going to start a small startup in Silicon Valley, well, you have to compete with the salaries from Facebook and Apple and Google yeah. and some pretty big companies with some pretty deep pockets who can basically pay whatever they want. And so it's there are actually benefits in doing it in other places. Definitely from a tax perspective, there's huge benefits mm. not doing it in California. And so there are a lot of really fast-growing tech hubs outside of Silicon Valley right now. There's a huge scene in Austin, Texas, and in different places in Nevada 
and in the Carolinas and in different places that are that are really fighting hard to grow the the, the tech startup scene in them. But again, there's there's great startups here in Orlando. You don't have to go very far. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think that's I didn't really think of um, uh, you know the competition factor that the fact that there's so many more people. Um, it, it really does make it more tough. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But you mentioned something earlier that I really wanted to touch on about um, military service. You said that um, women are only expected to serve a less, less, um, less service. Yes. Do you think that's going to start changing, or is that sort of just the same right now? I think it's complicated. So first okay. of all, it changed back and forth. I don't know how many times. Uh, mm -hmm. It was always shorter, but it went from like 18 months to 24 months to 26 mm -hmm. months to and so on. But it, mm -hmm. it was always around two years. And I think the bigger discrimination was that women were not allowed to join like fighting forces. They were, and, and that's all gone. Like now mm -hmm. women can really do anything i was actually the flight instructor of the first course that had female cadets in flight oh school. wow that's so cool and that's again I, you know i'm i'm old so it's <laughs> been it's been a while so so we have you know female pilots and female tank commanders and female yeah. soldiers and female everything mm -hmm. uh, so i think that's behind us I, I think as far as the time of service whether we like it or not there are differences that that cause it to make sense i think most women at least aspire to be mothers at a certain point mm -hmm. and if you want to have a at least establish a career or a path for yourself before you become a mother because doing it in parallel is just more complicated then if you're serving longer time and then you go to college university start your first job and so on uh, that gets you into your later 20s, early 30s, which again, not a bad thing. I know a lot of women who had their first child at that age, but to me, that's the only reason why there would be a difference, right? Is is allowing women more choice to start a family earlier, which for men doesn't really matter, right? It's There is no, there are a lot less physical limitations, let's put it this way, mm -hmm. to start a family later. Yeah. Totally, totally. Well, how about uh, your your company now? Um, like, walk us through, um, you know, coming to the United States and um, uh, making the decision to start doing what you're doing now. And what was that like? Were you ever scared? How is it exciting to you? Um, tell us everything. Wow. Yeah, I, I will try to summarize now 15 years into 10 minutes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Let's do it. So I, I really, when I said before, I joined a training and simulation startup. That's how I got uh -huh. to the US. So that right. training and simulation startup, we started doing nicer and more interesting things. And we started doing business in the US. And then we decided to open a subsidiary here in Orlando. Mm -hmm. And so we moved here, the CEO of the company, the CTO, so the guy leading the tech side of it, uh, the guy in charge of our training curriculum and training concepts, and myself mm -hmm. as sales, business development, marketing, everything that needs to bring sales to the company. It's a small startup. Yeah. I did all of it. 
Wow. And so that's how I got here. Then uh, a few years later, I there was really nowhere for me to grow in that company. It was a relatively small startup. I did a lot of interesting things. I loved what I did. I worked with the biggest companies in the US. So I worked with Lockheed and Boeing and Raytheon and Flight Safety and Northrop Grumman and anybody oh, yeah. in the, you know, in the military uh, training solutions I, I was involved with. And it was a great school and I've learned a lot and I made a lot of in, amazing people. That's but so cool. the, you know, you get to the point like, okay, I want to do something else. And within that company, there was nothing else for me to do. I was, yeah, I, I was already doing most of what I could do. And so I went, I did an executive MBA at uh, Kramer. So it's the yeah, Rollins. MBA of Rollins College. Yeah. That pride themselves of being the best MBA in the Southeast, if it means anything, because I don't know how many other. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not taking. It is a really away. good school. It, My dad great, went there. It it's is a great, really good. It's a great school, and and they have a really it's beautiful. Good, and it's gorgeous. It's stunning. It looks like yeah. a like an old money country club. Yeah, and it, uh, it looks like like Italy, like a villa. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's incredible. Like if you if you guys that are listening to it, uh, go go Google. Rollins College in Florida, and you see some aerial photography of the, it's sitting on a lake, it's gorgeous old stone buildings, it's stunning. Yeah. Uh, but I did it very differently, right? I wasn't a college kid, I was working full time and coming there Friday or Saturday. So every other week, it was either Friday or Saturday for nine hours each time. And the rest of the time, I wasn't there enjoying the, you know, the beach on the lake, uh, wakeboarding and the pool. I was mm. uh, I was at home or traveling for business or raising my daughter that was just born. So Aww. I always laugh that if I learned one thing in in Kramer is time management because it was nuts. Oh my gosh! Becoming a dad, be so working full time, traveling every other week, and doing an executive MBA was interesting. Yeah, that must be <laughs> so. But I I you know I I did well. I finished. Uh, I graduated with honors. Uh, got a fancy pin. Good for you. <laughs> and, uh, and then I quit my job and started my own startup. So cool. the startup was called People Post. It was a very well, interesting well, wait a minute. Thing. Let's back up. Let's back up. So you okay. when did you quit? Like like why? So so you quit your job because you felt like there was no growth opportunity? So I didn't I didn't quit yet. I just started the executive MBA while I was still working full time mm -hmm. over there. And then mm -hmm. after that, I quit because what, what really, you know, the MBA, I, I'll have to quote, uh, she was my, one of my professors. She's amazing. Her name mm -hmm. is Mary Datuan. She taught us marketing and she said, okay, why are you guys here? Like on class number one, right? With yeah. her. Like, yeah. why are you guys here? Why are you doing an MBA? What's an MBA for you? And everybody says different things. And, and, and she says, no, 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 no. Wait, like, what? Okay, so, <laughs> no, like, you know, people say, I do this to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, and she's like, no, no. No, 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 no. Oh, wow. Like, okay, so so why are we here? She said, so an MBA, uh, moreover, an executive MBA is a bullshit detector. And we're like, what? Get out. We're, we're paying, we're paying $65,000 for, for what exactly? And so she said, listen, an executive MBA or an MBA is not going to make you a senior manager in a company. It's not going to make you an HR person. It's not going to make you a marketing expert. It's not going to make you an accountant. It's it's not. It's going to give oh you the God. tools to talk to people who are and call bullshit. 
because you'll know just enough. And she was absolutely right. But what that really translates to is confidence. It gives mm. you the confidence because most people start their career doing something. They do marketing, they do sales, they do HR, they do accounting, they do design, they do whatever, right? There's whatever you chose to start your career with. Right. But if you want to become a senior manager, you now need to manage people from other aspects of the business. Yeah. Which means you need to understand enough to ask the right questions and give the right orders, or at least have a brainstorming in a way you can facilitate the conversation and generate something productive. Mm. And so to me, that was it, right? It gave me the confidence to say, oh, I, I can do this. I can do more than just uh, sales and business development and marketing. And so I, I quit. I quit and I started my own company. Oh, and, wow. And I raised money and uh, grew up a team both in Israel and Romania and here. So I had a team in three different places and conference calls all day long in weird hours of the day. Uh, it was fantastic. And uh, But we got to the point that we we could not materialize it fast enough and generate significant revenue that justified another round of investment. So we already raised several different rounds. We, we raised almost $4 million worth of money and, uh, and we shut it off. But in parallel, what happened is that my main investor, who's an incredible guy, uh, said, listen, I love what you do. I want you to come and do something similar within my company. And he yeah. was the founder and CEO of a large travel company. Mm -hmm. And I went and worked for him and I was managing uh, a very big business unit within his company that we kind of started from scratch. So it was a big wholesale travel company and I was running everything that was B2C. So a consumer facing website, app, call center, selling directly to consumers versus what the company did, which is sell directly to other companies. And so that was a lot of fun because I basically had my own little startup within a big company. That's I so had cool. my own design team, my own development team, my own product team, my own tech team, my own business development group, my own everything. Yeah. Uh, so I had a little mini company within a bigger company. We grew to a substantial size. We, uh, before the company sold, we did over a hundred million dollars a year. Just my, oh my department. Goodness. Yeah. Wow. The bigger company, I was still, so the company itself did a billion dollars in sales that year. Wow. So I was always the guy that makes too much noise for the size of the revenue that he's generating. It was always yeah. fun. It's like, you you... stop, you, you, you're causing too much trouble and you're only bringing in a hundred million. I'm like, I'm bringing in a hundred million. Say, so, yeah, it's nothing. Just stop. <laughs> That's great. What so, do you attribute to um, getting all that revenue? Like it, was it, you know, a certain leadership style or so um, first of all you got to understand you work within a larger organization you yeah. have a lot bigger opportunity like if i would do this oh, on yeah. my own we will never grow to that size ever really yeah uh, not as fast it was so the you, resources you, you had access yeah you to. have access to everything you have access to pricing of travel you have access to distribution you have access to really, really smart people. You have access to tools. You have access to data. You have access to, so, uh, you know, and, and financing, right? I needed more developers. I go, so I was an executive in the company. I bring this up as a point. I raised my hand in the executive team meeting. I said, I need this and that. I'm out of developers because we need to do this and that. And people vote. And if they say, yes, that's it. I'm good to go. That's your funding round. <laughs> 
which if you're in a startup that might take you six months and begging to a lot of other people to give you more money so you can grow your company. So it's, it's, you know, a, a lot of it has to do not with me, but with the, the, the environment I was operating in. So that's one thing. The other thing that is not me, I had an exceptional team, really absolutely exceptional people. So, and, and you can say that I'm smart enough to choose them. Okay. Fair. <laughs> Uh, but, but I, I can't even take that to myself, right? Because they all help choosing the next person. So it wasn't me. I was really just a facilitator of letting really good people, really talented individuals, give them the tools, the environment to, to thrive and do what they're good at. And they did. Mm -hmm. And we worked very well together. We are still very good friends today. Uh, and we built something special. And, and the yeah. other thing is we built it in a way that was going back to what we talked about the Air Force. Mm -hmm. uh, we planned a lot. So a lot of companies try to bring something to market very, very quickly. We had the luxury of taking our time because we worked in a really large organization that gave us that benefit. And we spent about six months in planning. Oh, wow. Six months of brainstorming and thinking every point and deep, di deep diving into each and every component and thinking of strategy and tactics and how to put it together and what components we want and how do we address the market differently than everybody else. And it worked because the strategy we came up with was, was really successful. Yeah. Wow. That's so great. So it's, this, it, I think it's not me. I mean, yeah. you know, I was yeah. a part of it, but it, it wasn't. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good that I think it shows a lot of your character that you will admit that because there are really some leaders who just want to take all of the credit. No, um, listen, if you would have taken away any one of those people, it would have been very hard to achieve what we achieved. Mm -hmm. Not to mention you would have taken all of them. <laughs> then, <laughs> uh, but, then, but then we sold the company. So the, the bigger company was sold two years ago. Yeah. Um, they chose, so it was a, a merger of three different companies like us, so three gigantic companies that merged together. Uh, took them about, I don't know, five to six months to choose us, so the, the team that I was leading as the leader of all that thing for the big new unified company. And uh, But it was really, really hard to get stuff done. So we, we moved from being a small startup fun to work, making decisions, acting quickly, yeah. uh, doing whatever we thought is right to being really important bureaucrats in a really, really, really large organization. So mm -hmm. I had a fancy title and a lot of budget and bigger team and, and a bigger budget to manage, but it's all bragging rights, right? It's not what you, it's not what wakes you wake up with a smile and a passion every morning totally. is the fact you have a fancy title or a big budget to manage. I don't, totally. I don't know. Maybe, you know, that's yeah, a personal I, thing. Maybe I some mean, people uh, do. Yeah. Unless you're into the like prestige of it, you know? And so I quit and I, wow. so I, I wanted to quit. They, they wouldn't let me. They said, we chose you. You need to do this. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, you, you chose me, but you don't want me to do it the way I like and know how to do it. Yeah. And I don't like doing it your way. They said, well, but, but, but you got to stay. We chose you. I'm like, okay. So I stayed for nine months. I built the new structure, the new processes, put the teams in place, 
created the you know corporations with 70 other departments that they created in the process wow. <laughs> whatever it was it was listen it's a really 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 big organization and it's just not for me it's not my dna my dna yeah. is a startup with a bunch of people that are willing to die for each other and and run like crazy and have fun yeah. together yeah and so so i stayed i i helped them kind of put the new structure together i actually interviewed found and trained my replacement nice and that brings us to your question of what am i doing now so then really i started the e-tribe and the e-tribe is really my uh passion to helping other startup people and other entrepreneurs uh, be more successful. So yeah. I I started with mentoring and investing in small companies and startups. Mm -hmm. Some of them are from here. Some of them are from Israel. Uh, under different hats, and some of them are my consultant. In some, an investor. In some, I'm on the board. So everyone is a little different, uh, depending what was right for that company. And I uh, I I was looking for a way to grow that bigger like how do i help more people because this i can do with four companies five companies then i ran out of time and resources and so i said okay maybe i'll start a blog and a podcast yeah. that brings more experts and more people like me together that can share information with others and help them be more successful so that's what i've been doing since so that's i'm, I'm so still awesome. doing the other stuff i'm still investing and mentoring and and so on, but I'm also doing the blog and the podcast. It's called the E Tribe, uh, and and I interview a lot of really interesting people. Like yeah, really interesting people. That's so cool. So, um, with uh, the E Tribe, how did you know um, this was what you wanted to do? And um, you know. Talk us through, walk us through some of the cool people that you've met and, and if you could share some of their stories. This is too much light. I'm trying to <laughs> no, there's clouds outside. When we started, it was perfect, but now it's cloudy and there's less light in the room. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I it kind of happened organically, really. I wasn't planning on doing this and I was really just looking for a way to do more of what I was doing. And I was, I, I, I really thought about it when I was in Israel. I have a lot of people that I know personally on the tech scene and startup scene in Israel. I was there on vacation with the family and I'm like, I should start a blog. And I started and kind of wrote a few ideas, but didn't really do anything with it. And I, I couldn't get my, my mojo going on writing articles and like what I'm going to write on and I'm not sure. And, and you talked about fears and, and overcoming barriers. I think every entrepreneurs, and I remember that when I started the company, um, goes through that. It's there's there's always the fear of I'm not good enough, or I don't know enough, or there's it's already saturated, or there's yeah. so many other people that are doing it already, or we we tell ourselves all these stories of why we should not do it and why it's going to fail, um, because it makes us feel safe but i'm i'm a adrenaline junkie i scuba dive with sharks and yeah, i wakeboard and i rode dirt bikes and i, I flew jets and so on and on and on so fear was always something i was enjoying confronting yeah but really this was more of an exploration and i said oh instead of writing a blog 
which I can't find my mojo, what if I interview people mm -hmm. that are really good at what they do, like CEOs, head of products of really successful companies, uh, really specialized consultants on different things, people who are top marketers in their fields. So again, going back to an MBA, I think the problem with an MBA is that it's not practical. Mm. It's a lot of great theory. Great theory, yeah, yeah. But there's very little, here's how you build a website. Yeah. I think that's a big criticism nowadays against like MBA. I think against education as a whole, the way yeah. it's built today. Yeah. I think the way education has been going, it's been going roughly the same way for the last <clears throat> 200 years. Putting mm -hmm. people in a classroom and with a teacher, and now they have a fancy computer and a PowerPoint instead of a blackboard. But it's the same thing. Very, very little has changed. But if you look at what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to bring stuff that is extremely practical like all the things that i do are geared towards here's a process on how to do something very specific or how to address a problem that you may or may not know about but you probably have uh, or here's food for thought for this topic look at this 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 and this so there's many different things that i'm doing that are very practical with the goal to help others be successful. And so that's kind of what I started doing the podcast. I started interviewing people. And again, the first interviews I did a year ago, and I had the recordings, but I did nothing with them. Like it was just an idea. And then it slowly evolved in my head to kind of like how I want to do it and what I want to do. And and I really launched it in January, where, where people started having access to the eTribe website and the podcast and and i'm loving it i enjoy every second it opens a lot of business doors for me yeah so a lot of things i'm doing today comes from people listening to the podcast uh, literally in this past three or four days i got approached by two different people who wants me to be on their advisory board wow. of their startups just because they listen to the podcast wow now That's one insane. of them has known me before but again he would have never approached me unless he would have kind of heard what i'm doing today and stuff like that so yeah, yeah. it's it's great i'm loving it and, and again i i get to talk to exceptional people like really mm -hmm. amazing people yeah what um advisory boards are you a part of so i'm not sure i'm allowed to say but but oh, uh they're all okay. <laughs> you know they're all small startups uh in different stages so some of them yeah. have been around for a year some of them a year and a half some of them are literally just getting started and trying to figure out what to do mm -hmm. some of them are not even startups so they're companies that have been around for a while but they're stuck and mm -hmm. they're like we, we 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 really are chasing our own tails for like five or six years now and we're making money but it's we know we can do better and come and help us out and figure out how to how to do the next step. So I think with each of them, we address a very different set of problems. Uh, with some of them is operational, with some of them is strategy, with some of them is it's it's pure marketing. And again, I, I had the benefit of because I'm a, I'm a tech guy and I enjoy doing the tech stuff and I'm a marketing guy and I enjoy doing the marketing stuff and so on. When I was running last minute travel, I was diving very, very deep with each and every one of the people that, again, were incredible people. I said that before. So you sit with these people and you deep dive into what they do on a weekly basis. You know it. You don't do it on your own. So now, you know, now I'm 
creating the website. I'm doing the SEO. I'm running the marketing on social media. I'm doing the business intelligence. I'm tracking everything to see where the traffic wow. is coming from, how it's performing. I'm doing the campaigns. I'm creating the websites. I'm doing the interviews. I'm, I'm editing them. I'm doing everything. But I know what to do. I'm bringing the mindset, the structure, the processes of a $100 million company into my little small business. But but that's what I'm doing with the other businesses as well. I'm looking at it from a holistic perspective. Where are the biggest gaps? Where are the biggest opportunities? And then we we go to implementation. That's so cool. Um, what have you learned from creating eTribe? A lot. First of all, I learned how to build a website. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the... It's, it's a good it's a very good question and, and there's so so many ways for me to answer it of what I learned I learned a lot of technical skills a lot a lot a lot of technical yeah. skills yeah. Uh, to the point I'm now very good at some things and I have a lot of people actually approaching me to tell them how to do this like how did you build the website how do you do the podcast how do you do this how do you do that and I'm actually in the process right now of creating courses for that yes which again Where going are back you creating to creating your courses. So I'm now in the stages of choosing a platform. I already have the outline of the first course, which is how to build a, a proper website using WordPress. But it's hard. This... WordPress sucks. So yes and no. So yes. <laughs> I, okay. So to be fair, they have the worst user interface possible. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Period. But on the other hand, if you're looking for future growth, and you're looking to build something that will be able to integrate with anything out there and something that can be anything you want in the future, it's the only platform you can go with. Yeah. So, and, and hence why I'm building the course the way I'm building the course. I'm like, yeah, you can build on Wix and you can build on Squarespace and you yeah. can build today. GoDaddy has their own tool. You can build on GoDaddy directly straight on their platform and you mm -hmm. can do so there's so many tools. By the way, that's another thing. I, I always like tools. I always was a tech geek and I always use different tools. But now in the past year and a half, I've tested every freaking tool out mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. If you want, I can create a landing page, you know, for, for your listeners. Yeah. Uh, with like a summary of all the tools that I've vetted. Uh, uh, let's do this. I'll create a page. Okay. I'll do it. The eTribe forward slash kiss. So it's easy to remember to people who yes. listen to your podcast. And I'll just put there all the tools that I use uh, that they can see because the list is very, very long because they vary oh, from how to manage tasks, how to build a podcast, how to build a website, how to manage your time, how to save money on email platform, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a long list. And again, it's stuff that I've that I personally used and that I've tried, you know, four or five systems for each one before I chose the one that I'm using. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I learned to use a lot of tools and I learned a lot of shortcuts. The other thing that I've learned is what we kind of talking about right now. And we talked about before about the fear of what are you going to do with this? And I didn't know. I, I, I walked into this without any real plan because I did it more as a hobby. And, but what I'm seeing is that, Despite the fact that there are dozens, and no, I, I have to rephrase, so probably hundreds of courses of how to build a website and yeah. probably roughly the same amount of courses on how to start a podcast, people come to me. People find me 
on LinkedIn, they find me on Facebook, they find me, they find my email, like they, they go through the website and fill the contact us form uh, in different in different places and ask me, how did you do this? Mm-hmm. Can you show us how to do one, two, three? And then it hits you that it doesn't matter that yeah. there are hundreds of courses out there. Yeah. What matters is that you continuously bring high level and value to people who are your audience and they trust you. Mm-hmm. And you hear that all the time, right? Any marketing thing you would open today, you know, is no trust like uh, or no like trust and then they would buy from you. You build a level of trust with people because they hear you or they see you or they read your articles every week. They understand the problem with the tools today so this is the bad side of what's going on on technology. On one hand, the tools are incredible, like literally incredible. Like you can do anything the big companies can do or not anything, but pretty damn close to what the big companies can do for either free or almost free. It's unbelievable. And again, that list of tools that I'm going to share with your audience will, will show you that. It's, it's unbelievable what you can do today for almost no money. But that's exactly the problem. So you have people like me and again, I'm, I'm a very humble guy, but I've done a few things in my life. I have 25 years of international business at the highest levels, three different startups, three different industries, doing it all over the world. So when I come in and I say, you know, this is good stuff, it's at least reasonable. Yeah. But then you have 19-year-olds who watched Gary V for <laughs> a month. And Gary is a genius. He's Listen, really, he's, he, he works really hard. He's brilliant and he's built an empire and he deserves any tap on the back or high five that you want. But the fact you've listened to Gary V for a year does not make you <laughs> anything. And because the tools are so good and so easy and so cheap, yeah. Anybody can put a website and anybody can create a course and it's everybody true. can start a podcast. And the only difference is how do you now separate the, the boys from the men, right? How do you know yeah. what's, what really brings value, what really has quality versus a kid that, that has no real experience and, and cannot put together a website that looks like incredible. Like no business experience, really. Yeah. So no business experience, no life experience, no coaching experience, no training experience, never managed anybody, never raised money, never managed people, never managed projects, never like nothing. But he, but the tools are there. It's the same tools that I'm using. And it's for all the tools together, it's like a hundred bucks a month. So, you know, one night of drinks with, with his buddies and that's what he's spending. Yeah. Uh, So I'm, that's the downside of, of the, the the tech tools that are out there today. But again, the good side is that that there's still a lot more people who can share really good content out there and you just need to choose. Yeah, I totally agree. It's how, how do you recommend people um, go about making this choice? Like, like how do you, how do you narrow it down? Um, I'll tell you something and it goes back to how I interview people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people send you a resume. They have like a nice fancy opening telling a story and what they believe in. I never look at it. And then they really? have a section about their skills. I never. No, look at it. get out. That's me. 
I'm, I'm yeah. not saying that as, as a recommendation to people yeah, to yeah, change yeah, yeah. Their, the way they write their resumes. Me as a manager hiring people in the last 20 years, never. Wow. I look at what they've done. Wow. You what ask experience, them about projects? What experience do you bring to the table? Mm. And then when I interview them, I don't look at that. I look at one thing only, which is character. Mm. That's it. If they have the right experience and the right character, I don't care about anything else because the skills that I need them to have, I can teach them. Yeah. Totally. Character, I cannot teach. And experience just takes time. There's no shortcuts. Like I can teach them stuff. But if you've, you know, if you've managed a company or two, or if you've done product management, or if you've done marketing for a company that does one, two, three, and doesn't have to be specific, you've done it. You have the experience. I don't, I can teach you the specifics of my company, but I don't have to teach you how to do marketing. And so, so that's it. So, so this goes back to how you choose who you listen to, look at their experience, mm. look them up on LinkedIn, look who they work with, look that it's real and that it's not made up. So if they worked in one, two, three companies, look who these companies are, see what roles they held for how long. Like people are like, oh yeah, I've already worked for four different companies. Yes, a month and a half each. <laughs> yeah. You have an experience of a year in the workforce and you were never able to hold a job for more than two months. So you started a blog. Good Do for you. Do you think that you need like two years? Like what is the minimum number? Because I I hear, I mean, for my generation, the they're saying that the average number that we're going to spend at one company is just one year. But I really so, feel like you need like two or three years or something to get like real experience. So I'll be I'll be fair. Again, I'm you and I are in different generations. Yeah. Uh, hence why you have more hair than I do. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'll email you some pictures of me with a lot of hair. Yes, you know. I'll you'll have you have a good, you will have a good laugh. But uh, uh, different generation, right? I I mm -hmm. had. Before uh, I, I told you, I, had th I, I worked until the age of 45 in three different companies. One that I started. So wow. two as an employee. Mm -hmm. That's it. And, and yes, I started late because I was in the Air Force. So I only joined the workforce at like 28. Okay, fair. But still. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I totally understand that it's very different today. And the world is a lot more dynamic and people want to do more things. And, and it's perfectly fine. I still think that, I think two things. One, in order to progress in life, you need to be good at something. Yeah, totally. You need to be good at something. Because if you'll be average, you can move as many jobs as you want. You won't make it very high. Like you can slowly upgrade yourself, but you will never make it to the top of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. because you're not bringing more value than somebody else that is already there. Mm -hmm. And to, to be more valuable, to be really good at something, you need to do it for a while because, again, there's, there are no shortcuts. Uh, now, it doesn't, you know, there is no magical number and it's different for every single person, right? I don't look, I don't care if somebody held that job for five years or a year and a half. I care that they know, they have depth in their knowledge sure, on that, sure. that particular subject. And some people can be in a job for 20 years and not know enough, right? It's not the, the best way to measure that. It's the, the right way to measure that is to see what they know. And so, again, if you're looking at the workforce, see what people know. 
and then see again character goes a very 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 long way like You're very right. long way because people yeah. who are passionate about what they do and that come with a smile to work and that like working with people and that have a drive and and want to learn will be successful yeah. anyway yeah. how can and, people develop their character uh i think that's the hardest part yeah so i, I think you can learn skills i think you can get experience I think changing character is tough. And I think the only way to do this is to surround yourself with people that give you the right role model, right? So if you want to be happier, smarter, driven, surround yourself with happy, smart, driven people. Yeah. Because they will pull you towards them. And if you're doing the other way around, if you surround yourself with people who are never happy, always complaining, don't really care about what they do, they collect a paycheck, and you're going to be miserable. And I don't care what your inner self is, but if you're with those kind of people every single day, it's, it's tough. So I think surrounding yourself with the right people, uh, both physically and digitally, right? So what we're doing is fantastic. And again, the, this corona thing, if it taught us something, is that we can get a lot of value from talking to people over a computer yeah. screen. Absolutely. But does that replace face-to-face? -face? No. Mm -mm. But can I save uh, two days of flights, travel, hotels, airports, and then see 20 more people because I wasn't in flights, cars, hotels? And <laughs> Yes. So I can actually see more people for longer periods of time and have meaningful conversations because I don't need to travel. So I think there, there's going to be a new balance here, uh, but, but definitely surround yourself with people that are better than you in at least one aspect uh preferably more and it will help you grow yeah absolutely i totally agree well um do you have anything else to to share with us any any learnings of of your company that you think um would help a lot of people um during this time or or just something that you has been on your heart that you really want to share? Yes, I, I will say something. I, not very recently, but recently interviewed a guy called um, Isaac Lidsky. So mm -hmm. if, you, if you go back and look in my podcast, you will find an interview. Uh, one of the most inspiring people I've ever spoken to, wow. uh, spoken with. And uh, he was able to really put in words things that I kind of knew, but never really put into sentences in my head. Really? And a lot of things he's describing is like, huh. Like what about? So, and that's kind of like you ask big life lessons learned from what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And, it, and it goes back to something you talked about before, or we talked about before, which is overcoming fear. And so he lost his eyesight between the age of like 13 to 23, gradually to a rare disease and yet became very, very successful. So he talks about overcoming fears from a very personal perspective of losing something that was very critical to what we would conceive as a tool for success, right? Being able to see. Yeah. And he talks about two things that I do all the time. And again, I do this kind of like subconsciously, but after listening to him and talking with him 
uh, I'm a lot more aware of it. So one is really fear is something that fills up voids with the worst case scenario. That's what mm -hmm. fear is, right? So it's something you don't know. You, in your head, it becomes the biggest, worst monster you've ever seen. It amplifies itself because you don't know. So he's saying, okay, so how do you deal with that? How do you overcome your fear to take action? And he really says, and I agree with him 100%, and if you want the lesson, it's the lesson. Take action. Taking action is the biggest lesson because you start moving. You start moving, you're going to get somewhere. If you stay stagnant, you're going to stay where you are. So if you may go in the wrong direction, then fix it and move somewhere else. But keep on taking action. So he's saying, oh, wow. looking at fear as this monster pushes you away from taking action. So what you mm -hmm. need to do is look at fear and break it down into actual facts. What do you know? What do you not know? Based on the stuff you know, what are the problems that you're facing? So actual discrete, very specific problem. It's not, oh my God, I lost my job. I'm going to be poor and my company won't have food. Okay, it will happen unless you do something. Yeah. So what can you do? Okay, so break it down. What do I know how to do? Where do these skills apply? Who can I talk to? And then once you break it down into specific problems, you prioritize them and take action today. So that's his other thing, is don't wait. Yeah, I will take care of it. It's like, okay, what's the most urgent thing out of the little problems that I've defined? And how do I address this one problem? And then the next one, and then the next one, and the next one. And this forces you to take action because this is what the process does. So if, if you want a big life, first of all, listen to that interview. It's, oh, I will. In, it's incredible. Um, and if you want, give me two seconds and I will actually tell you how it's called on the website. And, but yeah, the, the thing is to taking action is, is critical. And if you do this all the time consciously, it helps you overcome your fears, which again is what's stopping most of us from getting to where we want to go. Yeah. Oh, so absolutely. it's called, it's uh, again, it's on the E-Tribe. And if you go to the E-Tribe forward slash podcast, Mm -hmm. There are a lot of good interviews there, but this one is called Change Your Mindset, Seven Life-Changing Tips from a Successful Blind Entrepreneur. And again, yeah. I'll put a link to that specifically in the page I create for your audience okay. so they won't have to look so they won't have to look very hard. <laughs> so really, yeah. I, you know, I, I think it's great. I'll, I'll create a page. It will be uh, the etrap.com forward slash kiss. And I will just Thank put you. some stuff that we talked about over there. And is that um, the etribe.com? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much um, for, for coming on today. I appreciate it so much. I learned so much from you. Um, and so where can everybody find you? You're on the etribe.com. Um, so I'm on the etribe.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. And again, my name is Isar. It's I-S-A-R. 
Last name is Metis, which is M-E-I-T-I-S. And if you do find another Isar Metis that is not me, <laughs> let me know. Let me know because I haven't found one yet. But if there is another one out there, I would love to know. So I'm actually very easy to find because just nobody else has the same name. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I've been asking my guests um, to highlight a charity um, that they would like to um, promote for the show, for the podcast. Um, do you have one in mind that you would like to speak about that the listeners can donate? Uh, <laughs> yes and no. So really, we've shifted, uh, my wife and I, everything that we do, both our time and uh, resources into the scout thing, the Israeli yeah. scout uh, in Orlando. And we're helping there a lot. So we you know, uh, it's not exactly a charity, but it is, you know, it's an organization yeah. that does not have a budget mm -hmm. that makes magic with children of the next generation. And yes, it's a very particular cause that is close to my heart, which yeah, is it's Israeli wonderful. kids growing up in the U S right. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's where we're. It sounds wonderful. If you wouldn't mind, um, to put the, put a link for it in sure. the, um, in in the forward slash yeah uh, on, on the website and then we could find it there um i think that would be so great will do i will awesome it's, it's awesome. a great organization and 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 with really you know it's not a big community but mm -hmm. being able to see a group of kids sharing meaningful activities not in front of a screen yeah uh, doing it mostly outdoors speaking hebrew and and keeping traditions alive is is yeah. nothing short of nothing short of magical if you're in a foreign country right yeah yeah uh, so if you're in israel we're like yeah obviously you know it makes make sense but if you're if you're here then then it's a big difference yeah and it must be i mean really hard to you know come to america and not know many people or you know just have your own family and that must be really powerful to be able to have that community. It is, and it does. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate your time. Thank I'm you, so Elizabeth. excited for this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was well, fantastic. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. It was so great to talk to you. Well, thanks so much for all your time. Uh, I hope you have a great rest of the day. You too. Thank mm -hmm. you. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you feel inspired to live your best life. As you hear Isar highlight, he is so passionate about supporting the Jewish and Israeli communities and ensuring that the culture and values live on within the next generation. To donate to the Scouts and to locate all of these amazing resources that he's provided for us as listeners that we discussed on the show today, please visit bit.ly slash 2-M-A-A-E-A-Z. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash 2 capital M capital A capital A lowercase E capital A capital Z. The song that you are hearing featured on my podcast in all the transitions in the outro, in the intro, is called Shine by Jaguar Twin. 
They were so generous in allowing me to feature this on the show in the hope that it blesses you and inspires you to do better in this world. If you enjoy the song, please go and stream it on any service and consider purchasing as well. Here's the full song. Please understand that all donations are totally honor system. However, it is my goal to give you the tools to make an impactful life. Give to others with absolutely no expectation for anything in return. Shine, shine down on me. 